Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from the top of the historic Habern Building here at 106.5 FM. And hey, we live stream to the world, too, at forwardradio.org. And that's the place to go to become a part of our community radio station, become a volunteer with us. You can make media that matters with us, uh, get behind the microphones or behind the scenes, help sustain us here on Forward Radio. And we also rely entirely on listener contributions. And you can chip in $20 to support this entire day's broadcast. It's a steal for this great community treasure at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do here on Sustainability Now is bring in folks from around the community who are doing work in sustainability. And uh, sometimes we even have candidates for office here in the studio. And I'm so thrilled to have one. There is a special election going on right now for Kentucky House of Representatives District 42 and I have one of the candidates in the studio with me Katura Heron is here welcome Katura thank you thanks for having me yeah it's so great to have you <laughs> before we dive into you I just want to give our listeners a little heads up about what's going on here because some of them may not even know what's going on and you can maybe share a little what you know about this too but Reggie Meeks who's held this seat in District 42 for a long long time stepped down at the very end of last year opening up this opportunity for a special election that will take place on February February 22nd, but you're registered for that. And then also the general election, (laughs) which is coming up later in November. So you're kind of running for two things at once, which is wild. But then here's the other complication, my friends. District 42 is getting redistricted. (laughs) So I am one of the constituents in District 42 right now. But in the new world in November, I'm redistricted out of that. I'm in a different district. So I want to let our listeners know what's going on (laughs) with this thing that's coming up on February 22nd. District 42 was redistricted after the 2020 census by the Kentucky legislature, overriding Governor Bashir's veto, by the way, but the new map won't take effect until that November general election. For now, District 42 stretches from west to east, all the way from Rubbertown and South Parkland through the Central Park area of Old Louisville and Shelby Park, up through Parristown Point and the original Highlands into Clifton and Crescent Hill. It's a long, skinny district. And there are two candidates that you will see on your ballot on February 22nd. You'll see Katura Heron, who was selected by the Democratic Party, and then you'll see Judy Stallard, who's the Republican candidate. I also need to make the disclaimer that Forward Radio is entirely nonpartisan. We don't support any particular candidates or legislation. What we support is an informed electorate. So that's what we're trying to do right now is inform you all about this race. And we offer equal airtime to all candidates. You can get in touch with us at forwardradio.org. Did I miss anything about (laughs) the context here, Katura? Is that kind of where we're at? That is where we are. And (laughs) so we do have that special election on February 22nd. Now, there will be early voting. Thank you. I'm glad um, you brought that On up. the 17th, 18th, and 19th, and there's two polling locations for that. Okay. I didn't know where you could go to do this early in-person voting. Do you know where? Yes. The first location is St. Stephen Church. Okay. And that's at 1018 South 15th Street. St. Stephen's. Okay. Yes. And um, the other location is at the Jefferson County Election Center. And that is at 1000 East Liberty Street. And um, those locations will be February 17th, 18th, and 19th. And they'll be open from 8.30 a.m. till 4.30 p.m. 
8.30 to 4.30. And we will put all these details in the program notes to our program as well that you can find online at forwardradio.org. And, of course, you can get information about where to vote, how to register, all that stuff at elections.jeffersoncountyclerk.org. So, Kotura was born and raised in Kentucky and is a social justice advocate and change agent. She's got over 15 years of experience working with youth and families involved in the social service and criminal justice systems. A graduate of the University of Louisville with a master's in juvenile justice from EKU. And while in graduate school, Katura focused on the effects of parental incarceration on youth and disproportionate minority contact with the juvenile justice system. Since then, she's mentored and supported youth and families in rural and urban Kentucky, as well as communities in South Carolina and Hawaii, working in a variety of settings, juvenile youth facilities, community-based organizations, and in the court system. You're active in several local groups, KFTC, Black Lives Matter, ACLU, you, a Louisville family, justice advocates. And tell me about how this all came up from moving from this work to actually running for uh, Kentucky House of Representatives. That is a very good question. And it's uh, very crazy <laughs> how, how it happened. But as you said, most of the work that I've done has been working directly with youth and families. Yeah. And there was a point that I realized that you can do things for families. And then two or three weeks later, they're coming back with the same issues. Mm. And so I was like, it can't be just the families. Like, it can't just be the, the, the youth and the families. It has to be something deeper. And it made me start to look at the policies that, that were created and what were uh, keeping families coming back. And so when I was a court-designated worker here in Jefferson County, I actually helped change one of our internal policies. Hmm. Uh, when we got new cases, we did not have to call the families. We basically would set an appointment date and send them a letter in the mail and expect them to show up to the office. Wow. And in our office, I had the lowest number of failure to peers of kids that were going to court because they never showed up in the office. And simply, we had a conversation about that. And so they changed the internal policy statewide that now all court-designated workers across the state of Kentucky, when they get a new case, they have to call the families. And that's all the way from uh, truancy to, you know, a another crime like theft. And so before it was you get the case, you make the appointment, you send out a letter. Wow. And what happens if they don't show? Basically, if the young people don't show, then they automatically go to court. Wow. And then at that point, you know, the court decides if they're allowed for a diversion process or if they need to handle that case in court. And so really that was my first introduction of like the importance of policy and you know what that really meant. And in 2000, and I guess it was 18, I had an opportunity to meet some folks from ACLU. I was speaking locally about the impact of incarceration on families. And after I spoke, they said, hey, we need to talk. And I talked to them and honestly at that point, I didn't know everything that ACLU did. Right. And so I started doing some volunteer work with them, and it went from there. Wow. But you've never run for office before. So no. t tell me about that new wrinkle. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that what happens is that when you are a leader in the community, people start to recognize that. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just do the work and you're not, you know, I was never set out to be like, I'm going to lead this or I'm going to do this. It just kind of organically happens that way and I believe that in 2020 when we saw folks stepping up around the murder of Breonna Taylor the work that I did was amplified I was already doing policy work and so uh, leading the charge to ban no-knock warrants here locally 
I had an opportunity to build deeper relationships with Metro Council. And at that point, I had young people, I had elected officials, I had business leaders saying, hey, you should run for office one day. And I was like, nah, that's not for me. <laughs> that's not my lane. Let me stay on this side. And, you know, after a while, when, when enough people start saying things, you have to pay attention to it. And so uh, last year in 2021, I went through the Emerge program. And um, at that point, I said, okay, when uh, Representative Meeks decides to retire, I will consider it. I didn't know that it was going to be in this way. That, that that wasn't the plan. I mean, it was, you know, it was a week before Christmas right. when um, we found out that um, he, you know, was going to retire. And I will say to people, it was not anywhere written down in my plans of what I was going to be in, doing in 2022 at all. And so, you know, I took the time and talked to family and, you know, some of my mentors. And I said, this is an opportunity. What do you think? And... Uh, my partner asked me, does this align with the work? And I went back, I moved back to Kentucky in 2016, and I went back and looked at the work from 2016 to now, and I was like, okay, this aligns, so wow. let's make this happen. And so that's that's how I decided to to step in this role. Wow. It's wild to think about that. You sort of life just sort of pulls you along in these directions sometimes. You don't re you don't really set out to do it all, but suddenly you're recognized as a leader. So now you're running a campaign. You must have a team around you, right? Supporting your work. A absolutely. I would not <laughs> be able to do this without the team. And one thing that's interesting going from pretty much a, a community organizer and a policy strategist is typically you create the campaign, then you launch it and tell people what it is. Yeah. And so in this role, it was, hey, are you going to run? And so it was me telling people what it is and creating the campaign um, <laughs> as we're going. So it has definitely been interesting. <laughs> I've learned a lot. It's been very exciting, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, this next level of leadership and, and, and what, what's to come. Wow. And it's a sh very short time frame before February 22nd, of course. I mean, there's the general election and a longer-term campaign going on there. But here you are in the dead of winter. Not yeah. a great time to go knocking on doors, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I put out some yard signs. It was like, oh, good. let's see what these signs are going to yeah. look like in the ice. Let's make it happen. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, it's exciting. And, you know, one thing what I'm learning is is that you just always have to be prepared. Right. We never know what's going to happen, mm. and, and, you know, we have to do work and live in a, in a way that um, we always have to be prepared uh, for what's coming up next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I failed to mention at the beginning, you want to learn more about Katura Heron and her campaign, you can go to her campaign's website. It's Katura, the number four, ky.com, and you spell that K-E-T-U-R-A-H the number four ky.com or you can connect with her on twitter at katura heron or facebook katura.heron so tell me about some of the things that you're really passionate about if you envision yourself getting into this position in the house uh, in in frankfurt what are some of the main things you want to work on yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, once I get in Frankfurt, uh, people will see me doing some of the work, continuously doing some of the work that I've done before, uh, justice-related issues, yeah. issues related to our criminal legal system. I and mean, one of the things that I'm very passionate about right now is figuring out what we can do to curb uh, gun violence. Um, I, You know, we've seen how gun violence has traumatized uh, the community here in Louisville. We're seeing it in Lexington. Mm. Uh, last year, there's two people that I personally knew 
who lost their lives to gun violence in Lexington. And so, um, you know, I I definitely think that it's a statewide issue. Mm. And, you know, I'm very excited to figure out how we can um, help approach and and fix some of those issues, um, but coming at it from a public health approach. I think that, you know, we have seen a lot of different initiatives, you know, regarding to public safety and policing. Mm. um, But I also think that we have to dig deeper and figure out, you know, what people need in communities. Um, How do we make sure that communities are healing? Um, How do we look at uh, victims of gun violence as other victims, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, domestic violence and all of that? There's funds uh, for some of these other uh, groups of folks who are victims, and that's super important. And I think that we have to uh, look at the people who have been impacted by gun violence as victims as well and make sure that they have the resources they need. And then also, I think that that helps prevent any type of uh, retaliation mm. and then also helps them heal. Mm. And, and I think that we have to approach dealing with gun violence from this public health approach. And so that's one of the big things that I'll be doing. Can I just ask you a little bit more about yeah. gun violence before we jump yeah. into some other topics? I know I know you've got a lot of yeah. things you're interested in, and we do have time to dive into them today. But with the issue of gun violence specifically, I'm wondering if you've seen any communities in Kentucky or maybe outside of the state that have a better approach to gun violence that you'd like to maybe scale up to the statewide level? Yeah, I think that um, here in Louisville, and I know that they're starting to do this in Lexington as well, they're starting to put people in communities called um, Incredible Messengers. Hmm. And basically it's people who are in these areas, who are in neighborhoods, who already have relationships with people, and having them there to help, uh, one, on the front end, when you get word that there's some type of conflict, to basically be people there to be like, how, how can we squash this conflict? Right. And I think it's important, and people are already doing that work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think about when you are in your household and you have uh, kids and they're mm-hmm. arguing, somebody's going to come in right. and be like, what's going on? Y'all need to share the toy. Y'all need to do this. And so it's very similar to that is, is understanding who people are, where conflict is, and getting people to come together to resolve the conflict. Yeah. A lot of times um, when you speak to victims or perpetrators, um, when you hear about what started the conflict, it's like, wow, this never should have happened. Why did this? Why did this even happen? But when you dig deeper to to individuals lives of what's happening, you get to understand that people are hurting. Yeah. And and, and I think that with COVID-19, what we've also seen is that people's been in their house more. So depression is setting in more. Um, And I think that that's a a cross. And so we just have to figure out what that looks like. There's other approaches that I would like to see. I know that around sexual violence and sexual assault, when uh, victims go to hospitals, they have social workers there Mm. to help, you know, not just in that instance, but what does it look like as far as long-term care? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we can do some things like that as well. Um, And so it, and, I mean, it's that piece of the people piece, but then it's also the piece that we have to do as far as making sure communities have the things that they need to make them safe. Yeah. Um, I think that we have to go from an approach of public safety to community safety mm-hmm. as well. And sometimes that's making sure that people have sidewalks, Yeah, making sure that community centers are fully funded, making sure that kids have access to things to do um, so they're, they're not idle. And so um, it's a combination of both things. But, uh, you know, the big thing is the first step, I believe, 
it's getting our folks to say we have an issue and a problem Mm -hmm. and we're going to step in. And I think one of the unique things that I believe that can work is that the federal government has a lot of funds uh, trickling down to other jurisdictions. And I believe that creating such department at the state level will allow us to get these funds from the federal government. We're already doing it around other initiatives. Get those funds from the federal government. Have a place for that to be housed locally at the state and the state to be able to disseminate those funds across. And then also keep in tune of some of those things that are happening nationally. You know, what are those evidence-based programs? How do we create our own evidence-based programs? The thing is, is that every jurisdiction is different. And so sometimes what's going to work and happen in Philadelphia, Baltimore, may not be the same thing that's going to work here. We might be able to take some of those concepts, but we also have to tailor it to our community. And so I think it's going to take a collaborative approach with the federal government, the state government, and people locally who are already doing that work and no one understand uh, the needs of their people. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. My guest today, Katura Heron, selected by the Democratic Party to run in the special election taking place on February 22nd for the Kentucky House of Representatives District 42 to fill the vacant seat that Reggie Meeks has just retired from. She's running against Judy Styler, the Republican candidate. You can vote in person early on the February 17th, 18th, and 19th. There'll be polls open for in-person, no excuse, absentee voting. The new law in Kentucky allows this from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at St. Stephen's Church or at the new Election Center. It's a new location at 1000 East Liberty Street in Phoenix Hill there at Wenzel. And you can learn more at Katura, the number Number four ky.com. So this whole gun violence issue ties also into the whole criminal justice reform issues that you've been working on as an ACLU lobbyist. So make that connection for us and help us understand your vision for criminal justice reform. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting. Kentucky has one of the largest criminal codes. I think that that's something that that should be noted is that the, the criminal code here in Kentucky is so large And um, I believe it was KY Policy recently released a report that talked about how, although we continue to to have some good reform, we've done some things around expungement for the last several years, as many pieces of legislation (laughs) that we're creating that are good pieces of legislation, I believe it's either five or six times more pieces of, of legislation that is created to expand the criminal code. Wow. So when you think about what it is that we're doing, we're doing some things in a, in a couple of different pockets, but we continue to add on to it. And I think that that's a, that's a tough situation. And I think that, you know, the culture and climate that we have at the state, a lot of our legislators are former law enforcement individuals, and, and, and they talk about, you know, their experience. And I think that we can't just come to this issue from a law enforcement issue. Mm. We know that the opioid epidemic has um, increased what we were seeing in our communities as well and what that looks like. But I think that we have to connect the dots of all of the different issues. I mean, Kentucky is leading in child abuse. Wow. Um, domestic violence is rising. Suicides are rising. And in, in, mm. in Louisville in 2020, we had 100 suicides. Last year in 2021, we had 118. Wow. And I believe that all of those things 
are intertwined. All of yeah. those things impact one another, which is why when I talked about gun violence, we have to come at it from a public health approach. Yeah. I think we have to do the same thing uh, with criminal justice reform. And so it's a tough topic because there are victims. Um, but I do believe that we have to completely imagine how we create new systems for our victims and for perpetrators to make sure that they, I don't want to say necessarily have consequences, mm. but also have the things that they need to make sure that they're not continuously committing crimes. So are you describing more of a restorative justice model or? It's very much so okay. a restorative <laughs> justice model. Okay. It's a, I think that, um, you know, we can call it restorative justice, which, you know, we've been doing that here in Louisville for a long time with our uh, young people impacted by the juvenile justice system. And this year we'll see some of that go into the courts. And I know that also at the state level, they're starting to get and understand restorative justice. And so we've seen last year that they put something in the budget for restorative justice um, for young people, for for juveniles. And I'm hoping that this year we'll also see that. Mm. Um, Volunteers of America has now um, that's where the restorative justice program is housed. And so I, I think that we'll be able to uh, continue to see that initiative grow. And hopefully we can get that in for the adult system, right? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Hmm. Well, and when you were talking about how large the criminal code is, that makes me think that maybe we're criminalizing behaviors that we really ought not be criminalizing. And you did mention there are victims, but there are also some victimless crimes that maybe are in that criminal code that really is this the way we want to go put people in prison is that really what we should be doing right and i think that you're right and i think that before that people talked about prison as a rehabilitative yeah place for people to go and 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 get the things that they need but we know after decades that that's not what prisons do we know that prisons are harmful situations um you're talking about putting people in cages and most of our jails and prisons in kentucky are overcrowded Mm -hmm. i mean we just seen in the last, what, three months that we've had five people die here locally at the Louisville Metro Detention Center. And so there's people that are locked up because they can't afford bail, um, which is another issue that they're trying to take away, you know, um, organizations who are able to pay people's bail. But those are the things that we need. Those are the things that we need so people are in communities, uh, so people are, uh, can work. Um, And it's very interesting because we've seen a lot of initiatives that talks about second chance employment and, you know, some of these different things. But it's like you can't talk about doing these things on one hand, but still are increasing and and not allowing people to have the chance. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. We can move on to other issues. I, I, I know you're really passionate about raising the minimum wage, too. What is the state of the minimum wage in Kentucky? I mean, it's horrible. Hmm. I mean, I think that when you look back at, I mean, we pe- people can't afford it. I mean, right, I, I right. don't really know what else to say other than like, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. People can't live. And I think that when you look at how many people who are houseless, and that's not just in Louisville, that's across the state. When I go back home to Richmond, Kentucky, I've seen more people who are, are living in the streets. And so people we, with jobs, even. people with jobs, even. Right. Yes. And, you know, even as someone who got a master's degree, it was hard for me to find work and employment that I was able to save money after I paid all of my bills. And that's what a master's degree. And so, I mean, there's no reason why people aren't uh, making at least $15 an hour. I mean, 
at least. I, I mean, I think that that's the least that we can do. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing that I would like to see is one that be changed across the state. Mm -hmm. But I know and I also know that the governor has done a great job with bringing um, new uh, companies and, and things into the state, you know, the last six months or mm -hmm. since he's been in. You know, one thing that I would also like to see is, is and, and I don't know what this is currently, but what are some of those conversations we have with these companies who are coming? Right. If we you give know, you state incentives, what can you give our people? In yeah, return? what are those incentives and, and how do we make sure, one, that people are getting a working wage mm -hmm. from the jump? If you're going to come here, you got to pay our people at least $15 an hour. What does that look like as far as ensuring that those jobs are full-time jobs? Oftentimes you see... The companies, flexible hours. The right? flexible hours. You see uh, companies using um, temp services yeah. to where, you know, people can come in and work temp hours, but they may only get like 25 to 30 hours and it makes it to where they can't get a second job. Mm -hmm. They're not getting the same uh, health benefits. There's no stability. There's in their no life. stability, yeah. right? And so, um, those are some of the things that I would like to see that that intertwines with that uh, minimum wage. And then also, when we um, get some of these new businesses in, how do we make sure that one of the requirements is that you are going to hire people with felony convictions? That you you cannot discriminate against that, yeah. and that is going to be a part of this deal um, because we know that there are so many people who who do have felony convictions, right? And they need to work. They're our neighbors. They're raising their kids. They're here in the community. So we need to make sure that mm. we are giving them everything that they need mm. to be successful. Um, so there's no there's no room for them to reoffend. Mm. They need to work, and they also need the right to vote, right? Absolutely. That's. I know you're you're <laughs> you're keen about restoring voting rights. Yes. Tell, maybe our listeners aren't familiar. They haven't been through the criminal justice system. What's it like for people who have a felony on their record? Yes, Kentucky is one of three states. One of three states. Three. Three. We are one of three states that is left nationally that if you have a felony conviction that you are forever disenfranchised uh, from voting. Now, there is a process that individuals can go through where they can petition and fill out an application and uh, go through the governor's office to do that. Um, and we also know that in 2019, uh, the governor did do an executive order to restore rights to folks um, with uh, Class D felonies, and that's nonviolent offenses. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's great. We worked very close with them to make sure that that happened, to get a website up for folks to, to find out their status. The issue with that is, though, if we get another governor in, they can take away that executive order. Yep. And those people who have the right to vote now, that can be taken away. Wow. I and didn't so, realize that. Yeah, it yeah. can go back. It oh can go goodness. backwards. And so, you know, what we're proposing is, is that in Kentucky, <sighs> the voting rights law is in Kentucky. Uh, it's in the Kentucky Constitution. And so we have to change the Constitution. And so what that would look like is, is that we have to pass a bill at the legislative level. Mm. And once that bill was passed at the legislative level, it gets on the ballot and the people of Kentucky get to decide mm what the people of Kentucky want to do. And I think that at this point, it's been 20 plus years that, that people's been working on this, that really? it is time for the people of Kentucky to decide and choose, you know, what that is. And mm. so, so the sentencing project uh, recently, it's a national organization. They recently released a report about two or three weeks ago. And still in Kentucky, there's 100 
in 98,000 people who do not have the right to vote. Mm. That's a large amount of people mm. um, who do not have a right to vote. And that's almost 6%, 5.9% of the voting age of Kentuckians. So um, almost 6% of the people who are at voting age in Kentucky cannot vote. And, you know, that that's something we just have to change that. It's just so crazy. What on earth is the justification for this? I mean, is it supposed to be a way that we're trying to prevent crime by scaring people? We'll take away your vote. Are you kidding me? Like anybody in a extreme situation is going to be thinking about that. Like that doesn't work as a deterrent mechanism. Right. But basically, it we're creating second class citizens where you don't have your rights. Uh, and, and you can't have a say in our democracy? Right. Just because you did something wrong in your past? Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah. And and I think that that's uh, the reason why it is important is that because it, it um, restores that dignity yeah, and dignity, humanity right. that has been taken away. People are already ashamed that they've committed crimes. People are ashamed that they've had to go away um, and be away from their families, their friends. And so they already have that stigma. And what I would argue to people is, is that giving people that right to vote says, hey, now I have a voice. Now I can be engaged. Now I can be involved and I can make change in my community. Yeah. Voting allows you to make change in your community. Yeah. And it's not just voting at, at the state level. It's voting for your school board. It's voting for your council person, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, people want to do that. People want to be engaged. Yeah. And, and I think that we have to definitely make sure that we're doing that. And, um, you know, we also know that Representative Owens, he recently passed away and that was one of his big issues. And so another thing that I say to, um, you know, the legislators is that we need to honor him. Mm. We should honor him mm. this year by making sure that we get this voting rights bill passed, have a clean bill. And as I said, allow uh, the people of Kentucky decide how we should move forward. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Katura Heron, running on the Democratic ticket for the special election and the general election in the Kentucky House of Representatives District 42 race uh, in the seat vacated by Reggie Meeks. Uh, so if you live in District 42, this long, skinny district that stretches from east to west all the way from South Parkland up into Crescent Hill, we want you to know that it is your duty as a citizen to vote in this special election, to look into the candidates and choose whether you want to vote for Katura Heron or Judy Stollard is the other candidate. We here on Forward Radio don't endorse any particular candidates, but we endorse an informed electorate. We want you to pay attention, to look into this race, and to vote, especially because it's a weird one. It's a special election. You might not know about it. Again, the actual election day is February 22nd. Regular precincts will be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., but there is also no excuse in-person early voting taking place Thursday, February 17th, and Friday the 18th, and Saturday the 19th from 8.30 to 4.30 every day at St. Stephen's Church and at the Election Center, now located at 1000 East Liberty. You can learn more about my guest today, Katura Heron, at Katura4KY.com. That's K-E-T-U-R-A-H, the number 4KY.com. All right. What about child abuse? I know that that is an issue that you have been advocating around. Uh, what is the law that needs to change about that? It's illegal, right? Yeah, it's illegal. And we just saw um, this week um, Senator Julie Rocky Adams, who's a, a senator here from Louisville. Mm. Um, she just, I think it was Senate Bill 8 or 9. I can't remember if it was Senate Bill 8 or 9. But it is it is a bill to um, expand some services um, around around child abuse. 
I have not had a chance to look completely deeply into that, but I do know that it passed the Senate. And I think for me, my approach uh, to that is, again, that public health approach of knowing that, one, our young people are our most vulnerable population mm -hmm. and that it is our duty, if we don't do anything else, it is our duty to make sure that the kids of Kentucky are protected and mm. they have the things that they need. Mm. Um, and I think that we do that um, in, a, in a, again, approach that allows a, a healing and also allows them to have, you know, the things that they need. But I think that when we talk about child abuse, we can't talk about that without acknowledging all of these other systemic social issues, like I, like we talked about the opioid epidemic, uh, like we talked about houselessness and homelessness, like we talked about raising the age of, of um, I mean, not raising the age, raising uh, the minimum wage. All of those things, if we don't fix those things, we're not going to be able to fix child abuse. Absolutely. And so for me, my approach is how are we looking at these things collaboratively mm. because they do impact that. And I think at the end of the day, mm. it's our children of the Commonwealth who are impacted and suffer the most. Mm. Yeah, and I, I recently did a Truth to Power program here on the station uh, in recognition of January was, you know, Human Trafficking and, and Slavery Awareness Month. And just some of the issues that were raised by these folks who've been looking at these issues of uh, human trafficking and children. I mean, it's frightening to even think about, but this is a product of desperation, desperate people, right? Yeah. Uh, because there's there's no hope in their yeah. communities, right? Yeah. There, there's no hope in, in, in communities, and people don't know what else to do. I mean, yeah. people just don't have an, an, an answer. And I think that when you talk about that, um, really that mental health piece, is is that when people are desperate, they just do whatever. Right, right. And so, um, you know, that's why I say we have to look at it from a public health approach because people are sick. Mm. You know, people are, are are mentally hurting. People are financially hurting. And that burden, you know, w one of the things that I've said is that, you know, I, I, wonder, I don't have children. Um, I've got several cousins and nieces and nephews that I, I, I care for and I help, you know, take care of. But I couldn't imagine, right. you know, in this day and age of making, what, $9.50 or nine twenty five, whatever, you, you just can't make it. Yeah. And, and I think that all of those things, um, at the end of the day, mm. it, it does impact um, and, and is one of those um, issues, the underlining um, issues of, of how kids end up in situation where they're abused. Yeah. One other thing that's notable about you, Katura, you identify as queer, and if yes. elected, you would be the first openly LGBTQ member of the entire Kentucky House. That is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> but talk about the significance of that, please. Yeah, so there there was an individual um, who came out after they won, um, but and so I, I would be the first LGBTQ person running. Okay, thank um, you for the correction. Yes, right. and so I, I think that there's been some confusion you oh, know, so, around... Sorry. No, a lot of <laughs> folks have been you know con confusing that and and i you know i think that it's just the the importance of, of people feeling uh represented yeah and and i think that me being able to, to stand firm in who i am you know it just does it's just going to do something for other lgbtq people in kentucky across the nation whether they're uh, young people and kids or they're adults uh, representation matters. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of um, um, anti-trans bills, anti-LGBTQ bills from sports related to healthcare care related. And, and I think that uh, being a voice and saying, 
uh, this is who I am. And so, like, these yeah. pieces of legislations and laws that you're talking about are going to impact people like myself. Yeah. And so I think that being able to be in that space to hold these identities is going to be very important. And I, and I honestly think that that is the reason why I have been able to be successful, being uh, LGBTQ, being someone who's been directly impacted by the criminal legal system, being someone who's from a smaller community. Like I can be like, I know what you're talking about. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm this is who <laughs> I am. Bit. This yeah. is me. Yeah. And so, um, I think that just that representation, you know, it, it really matters. Yeah. It really matters. And, and, and I think for me, what I look forward to is being able to um, inspire other people. Mm. I think that that's what's going to be beautiful. And I don't know that we will see the impact of that for years, is mm. that uh, someone will be inspired, some young person will be inspired and be like, I can do that, or I can do whatever it is that I want to do. And that's what I'm most excited about. Well, and it gets right back to that issue of dignity that came up earlier about restoring voting rights. You know, representation matters because it gives the individuals in the community who feel represented a, a dignified position, right? And, yeah. And, oh, Katura's in the, yeah. the, the house. Yeah. Representatives. Maybe I can be somebody, yeah. too, right? Katura's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting near the end of our time. And speaking of the Kentucky House of Representatives, you know, in Frankfurt, you're, you're going to have to make some alliances in order to get any of this great stuff done. And so I wonder if you could reflect in by reflecting on that in your, in your organizing work and your advocacy work that you've done, you know, where have you found some surprising allies? I mean, I, I think that, you know, oftentimes in this work, it's so heavy. And I think that the way society has um, been created, it's almost like this us versus them mentality. Yeah, exactly. And um, what I've learned and realized is that when you're doing legislation, one of the first things that people ask is, have you talked to this person? Have right. you talked to that person? And so when you're creating policy, you have to talk to people who are going to be your opposition. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, because legislators, that's the first thing that they ask is, is that, have you talked to this person? Have you talked to that person? And so coming from an organization like ACLU, that was a nonpartisan organization, that's how I learned how to do policy, mm. was in a way that was that you need to have bipartisanship, you need to um, talk to, to all individuals, because you don't want to have a, this great piece of policy or piece of policy you think is great <laughs> and then somebody comes and is like no nah, I'm not for that and it's just like well you didn't talk to them to find out why they would be for it against it and so you know I, I will talk to everybody and I think that it's important you know I, I think that one of the things is is that we're not um, gonna always agree on things and I feel like that most of the folks I will say most of the folks who I've talked to want the same thing the issue is, is that what that solution is, is different, mm. is, is that what at the end of the day, people want safe communities, mm -hmm. people want families to thrive. But what that looks like is different from every for everybody. Mm. And so it's sitting down and having uh, building those relationships. And that's the hard work. Yeah. Is building relationships, is talking to people who you normally wouldn't talk to. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you got to go and 
uh, go to to their grandmother's birthday party or <laughs> invite them to you know to the baptism or whatever. You don't have to do all of that, but we do need to sit down and have coffee and talk about you know what whatever those issues are. And so um, you know while working at ACLU, I had a chance to build relationships on the Senate and House side with Democrats and uh, with Republicans. And so in 2020, I believe it was before COVID. Yeah, COVID brain. Yeah, Before right. <laughs> COVID, um, I worked with Representative Bratcher on an expungement bill. Mm. And what people don't know is that expungement bill that we did, which I didn't know at the time, but the expungement bill that we did was that if you had um, any charge that was dismissed by the state or if you was acquitted by the state, prior to this bill, it was upon the individual to get that expunged from their record. Oh, okay. The bill that we were actually to create said that if you were acquitted or that the case was dismissed, that it was the state's duty to take that off your record. Mm. And I did that with a Republican. Wow. And so when you look at uh, what happened in 2020 and a lot of folks being arrested during the protest, yeah. a lot of those folks benefited from that piece of legislation. Of course, I didn't know when we did the legislation <laughs> it was going to be needed, but that's why it's important to work, you know, with with all folks, and and really, my approach is what is the issue, and how do we align on an issue, yeah. and that's that's been my approach to the work. So that's going to be your approach when you get to Frankfurt. It's also kind of got to be your approach as you're running for this seat, right? Are you building some of these relationships right now with your constituents? I am getting out and trying to meet as many people as possible. It's been interesting. You go to some areas that I've gone to and they're like, well, you're not going to be my person. I'm like, I am for now. Yeah. But in a couple of months, I won't be. But for now, I need your support. And so, yes, it's been very interesting getting out and talking to people and um, talking to uh, different uh, unions as well. Um, and so, it, you know, overall, it's been a great um, outpouring of support. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, very humble and thankful for that. And so we still have a lot of work to do. And, you know, a lot of people's been asking me a lot about what's going to happen when I get to Frankfurt. And I'm like, I, I got to get there first. That's right. And so, um, you know, I, I it, it is it's very exciting and very humbling. And so um, I look forward to continuing to meet people of District 42. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't have time to meet everybody. Right, right. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do look forward to it and, and to continue to build those relationships. Well, Katura Heron, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for taking the time today. But more than that, I mean, thank you for stepping up and running for District 42 in the Kentucky House of Representatives. I mean, campaigns aren't easy. Serving in Frankfurt ain't going to be, you know, a cakewalk, right? This is hard work. So yeah. I honor you for even stepping up to, to think about it, right? Thank you. Yes. I, I mean, I appreciate it. And, you know, what I've been telling people is, is that, you know, the decision for me to run um, also comes from, you know, I think that every different moment calls us to do different things. And I think that in this moment, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if it'll be a 20 years or 10 years or whatever, right, but right. I know that right now um, that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I look forward to, um, you know, really helping shift the culture of politics. And then I'm also uh, getting folks, constituents and, and other people around Kentucky to understand the process. Um, and so um, that that's what I'm most excited about is, y'all, this is the process, and it's not <laughs> that easy, and this is what we got to do to continue to work together to make change.
All right, great. Well, thank you so much again. Check her out online, katura4ky.com, K-E-T-U-R-A-H, the number 4-K-Y.com, or find Katura Heron on Twitter or Facebook as well. She is running in, in the Democratic ticket in the special election taking place on February 22nd for the Kentucky House of Representatives District 42 in the seat recently vacated by Reggie Meeks. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar all kinds of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week so stay tuned my friends back here on sustainability now on forward radio with me justin mogg listening to the sweet sounds of apple latin many thanks to them for giving us permission to post their great local music on the podcast versions of our programs which you can find archived at soundcloud and all at forwardradio.org and you can learn more about them at AppleLatin.com. Well, my friends, I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out because this is the week to get active for sustainability. Not only if you live in District 42 and need to vote in that special election for the House of Representatives of Kentucky uh, that our guest is running in. Uh, there's early voting starting Thursday, uh, but also a bunch of other stuff coming up this week for sustainability. On Tuesday the 15th, at 4 p.m., it's going to be the next in the UofL Sustainability Roundtable Spring Series featuring Dr. Megan Lewis of Corteva AgriScience. This will be online. It's free and open to the public. You can join the UofL Sustainability Council for the Spring Sustainability Roundtable Series every other Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. online. Special guest on February 15th will be Megan Lewis, who serves as the Corteva Global technology adoption lead for the Crop Protection Discovery and Development Group. In her role, she oversees the development, implementation, and compliance of new technology across the globe to enhance product development and agricultural research. Megan is an active member of the Food Security Global Steering Team, recently co-founded a STEM camp with her husband, and is an if-then ambassador for the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Megan is a STEM education outreach fanatic and active participant in local nonprofit boards and holds a PhD in plant breeding and genetics from North Dakota State University. And she got her MS and BS degrees from the University of Minnesota. You can find the link to join. You don't need to register in advance for this Tuesday 4 p.m. event at louisville.edu slash sustainability. 
Now, also coming up on Tuesday after work at 6.30 p.m. at the main library, it's the My Library U Fast Class for Black History Month on the other African-American black people in Nicaragua and Cuba. Focusing on music, art, literature, dance, and history, this class offers diverse perspectives of African-American identity and uh, geographically speaking. UofL Spanish professor Dr. Thomas Edison will focus on Afro-Cuban and Afro-Nicaraguan artists, connecting them to the African diaspora and global black experience. My Library U Fast classes are always free. More information and registration is available at lfpl.org. And again, that's on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. in the main library. Now, also on Tuesday, the 15th at 7 p.m. online, Forward Radio's proud community partner, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, invites you to join them via Zoom as they welcome for their monthly program Tom Fitz Fitzgerald, Senior Staff Attorney for Kentucky Resources Council, for their annual Kentucky General Assembly update. Fitz was director of the Kentucky Resources Council from 84 until October of 2021. KRC is a nonprofit environmental advocacy organization providing free legal, strategic, and policy assistance to individuals, organizations, and communities concerning environmental quality, resource extraction, energy, and utility issues. Fitz received his Juris Doctor from the UK College of Law in 1980 and has been an adjunct professor of energy and environmental law at UofL's Brandeis School of Law since 1986 and, of course, has published a number of articles over those years. He has received numerous awards and has been a fixture in the halls of the Kentucky General Assembly since 1978. Join us to hear about what's happening in Frankfurt this year and what we can do as citizen activists working to build a healthier commonwealth. You can find the link to register. You will need to register in advance for these, this online program on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Go to sierraclub.org slash Kentucky sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Now, the University of Louisville, as I mentioned last week, is hosting a black film festival all February, every Wednesday, in fact, through March 2nd, with screenings at both 5 and 7.30 p.m. in the Student Activity Center Floyd Theater up on the third floor. They're partnering with multiple campus organizations for a series of films chronicling the history of black cinema from the silent era to today. It's free and open to the public. Full details are at events.louisville.edu and the film this Wednesday at 5 or 7.30 in the Sack Floyd Theater is Remember the Titans, the true story of Coach Herman Boone's efforts to desegregate the T.C. Williams high school football team back in 1971. Coming up on February 23rd, they're going to be showing Slay the Dragon, the documentary about the history of gerrymandering in America. And it ends on March 2nd with In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. You won't want to miss it. It's all free and open to the public every Wednesday at 5 and 7.30 p.m. in the Floyd Theater in the Student Activity Center at UofL. 
Also coming up Wednesday, February 16th at 6 p.m. virtually, it's the next Green Drinks event focusing on climate change and natural disasters. John Bowen will be presenting on climate change and severe weather correlation, including the most recent tragedy of tornadoes in Western Kentucky. John is a grad student at Western Kentucky University, currently seeking a master's in Homeland Security Science along the emergency management track. John's degree is in meteorology with a certificate in emergency management disaster science. He's been with Dr. Josh Durkee on multiple field severe weather forecast workshops and serves as WKU's primary emergency management operator for the new disaster science operations centers and the campus weather service, the White Squirrel Weather. John has been forecasting the White Squirrel Weather for over four years now and has presented the work they do at several conferences, including the National Weather Association's annual meeting. The Louisville Sustainability Council's Green Drinks, of course, is a casual bi-monthly meetup of community members and organizations featuring different speakers from across the city and, in this case, the state, to educate and inform the community on local happenings, projects, and initiatives. Every presentation is followed by Q&A, discussion, and networking. It's typically held at various local restaurants and bars or virtually as we continue to navigate the pandemic. Green Drinks takes place on the third Wednesday of every other month at 6 p.m. And you can find out more at LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org. Again, it kicks off for this 2022 season on February 16th at 6 p.m. with climate change and natural disasters. They're going to be doing in-person events for the rest of the year, though. On April 20th, they'll be out at Louisville Grows Seeds and Starts sale. Uh, On June 15th, they'll be in person with the Louisville Compost Co-op. August 17th out at Waterfront Botanical Gardens, uh, October 19th doing electric vehicles at Logan Street Market, and it wraps up in December on the 21st at West Six Brewery in New Lou. Again, LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org is a place to go to learn about green drinks. Now, coming up Friday, February 18th, it's the next Winter Orchard Care Workshop. In fact, I believe it's the very last one of the year. We've been doing these great community orchard pruning parties. uh, And the last one's coming up this Friday, February 18th from 1 to 3.30 p.m. out at the People's Garden at 44th and Bank Street. You can come learn some simple tricks for taking advantage of the dormant period to improve the health and productivity of fruit trees. Winter is, of course, the perfect time for pruning orchard trees to reduce disease and increase fruit production. Our friends from the Urban Agriculture Coalition, a proud community partner of Forward Radio, will be joining us to offer guidance as we learn together in this hands-on workshop designed to improve the health of our community orchard out at the People's Garden. For more information and to volunteer to register uh, to register to volunteer, you can go to tinyurl.com slash orchardcare21-22. Also, I want to let you know that for Black History Month, Roots 101 African American Museum at 124 North 1st Street is hosting the Sankofa Experience. It's offered Friday, February 18th at 8 p.m., Saturday the 19th at 3 p.m., and Sunday the 27th of February at 4 p.m. Black history, culture, and art come to life in this narrated tour of the Black journey from an African king through the social justice movement of today. 
get all the details at roots-101.org, roots-101.org. Also, coming up this weekend on Sunday, February 20th from 1 to 4 p.m., you can join me. You can volunteer to help plant 50 trees along Liberty Street. At, and we're going to be meeting up at 713 East Liberty Street on Sunday at 1 p.m. for these downtown volunteer tree plantings with Metro Parks and the Division of Community Forestry. It is a whole lot of fun. They bring their team, all kinds of tools. You don't need to do anything. Just show up and help out. It's great if you could register in advance using the My Impact app. And you can find the link to register at bestparksever.com. Or you can just get in touch with Sarah Flarsheim Tyler, former guest on this program at Sarah S A R A H dot F L A R S H E I M at Louisville KY dot gov, or call or text her at 502-901-8191 for this Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. tree planting at 713 East Liberty Street. And mark your calendars for March on March 6th. They're going to be planting along East Jefferson Street. And it wraps up on March 20th, a Sunday at 1 to 4 p.m. in the Phoenix Hill neighborhood. Again, you can learn about all that at bestparksever.com. And they'll also be hosting a Citizen Forester 101 training on Saturday, February 26th from 9 a.m. to noon at 9300 Whips Mill Road. Get certified to lead small teams of volunteers at future tree plantings. Again, learn more about it at bestparksever.com. Now, coming up on Sunday, the February 20th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., it is the KSEC annual meeting. KSEC is the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition. And they are, they, their mission is beginning with Kentucky's campus communities. KSEC works towards an ecologically sustainable future through the coalescence, empowerment, and organization of the student environmental movement. We believe in holding campuses, corporations, and governments both responsible and accountable, not only in maintaining the environment, but allowing ecosystems to live and prosper. We seek to expand our reach and engage our communities by building relationships with non-student-driven organizations which stand in solidarity with our cause. Well, you can help KSEC plan for 2022 and the future beyond that this year their theme is process and projects we'll be setting a calendar defining our goals connecting with member engagement digging into our networks and more but don't worry we'll also make plenty of time to relax and connect with each other as we build a vision for ksex future it's taking place right here in louisville my friends at the louisville recovery community connection that's at 620 south third street on the first floor of the Gray Mercy building. And it's this Sunday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. You'll need to register in advance. And to do that and to learn more, go to kystudentenvironmentalcoalition.org. For KSEC's annual meeting on Sunday the 20th, go to kystudentenvironmentalcoalition.org. And another Black History Film Month film series that's going on every Sunday in February is at the Maine Public Library on York Street. Neighbors to us here at Forward Radio down in the Centennial Room at 1.30 p.m. every Sunday. This Sunday, they're showing Green Book at 1.30. A working-class Italian-American bouncer becomes the driver of an African-American classical pianist on a tour of venues through the 1960s South. 
You won't want to miss it. It's this Sunday. It's free. It's at 1.30 in the Centennial Room of the Main Public Library. And you can learn more at lfpl.org slash bhfilms for Black History Month. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you so much for tuning in and being active for sustainability. Be well, my friends. I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time. Thank you.